0: Welcome to the J3 University podcast. I am your host, John Jewett. And I am your co-host, Luke Miller. Our mission is to elevate the physique coaching standard. And deliver
1: the highest level of competitors to the stage. Let's jump into today's episode.
0: Why are you so fat on stage? And don't worry, everybody, I'm not attacking anyone because I've... I've been there myself, and I felt like, why am I so fat on stage? <laughs> what? Where did it all go wrong? What did happen here? And so Luke and I are going to jump into this today about some initial things to consider about not getting fat on stage and trying to solve the issue before it even comes all the way around and bites you in the ass. So Luke, yeah. how's it going, man? Good. Everything's rolling. We're starting
1: to get... The baby on a sleep schedule. So I am like sleeping slightly more a night. I'm getting a solid like six hours, which is great. I can function on six. Can't function on four. Um starting to train a little bit more, which is nice. I feel like a feel like I actually train again. So that's that's pretty cool. But Is that having, is that like four days a week? No, not we're not there yet. We're like at three. We're we're getting to getting back to three. That's the.
0: do you, do you do like just you do, just do push pull legs right and rotate I, through I was I'm
1: actually doing upper lower now because mm-hmm. of like the variability of the schedule um because it's is not consistently the same days yet so um I'm actually doing upper lower to kind of manage the recovery capacity
0: and then you don't end up I mean you you might miss a day right so it's less likely to miss a whole like body part I guess for the week
1: yeah like last week ended up being two but I still hit everything because I did upper lower. Right. So that's kind of where, where I'm at. So, um, it's fine. I'm surprised at how well strength is holding. Like I'm still hitting numbers that I was like pre deciding to not pursue bodybuilding. So that's pretty cool. Um, legs, not so much, but pressing and pulling. So, uh, yeah, still fun in the gym. I do more mobility work just with kind of the switch in the goal set and, there's quite a quite a bit more there. Uh, but some, some more health based stuff too as far as cardiovascular activity. But it feels good to be in the gym. But um I'm really just kind of living vicariously through my clients. I've got like I've had shows every weekend for the last three weeks. I've got another one this weekend in Australia and just really loving the prepping people aspect. It's been a lot of fun. So it's it's really cool to just like fully be invested in that um without having to manage my own. But you're you're getting to uh the fuck the scale. Let's just get shredded. Time, huh? <laughs> uh,
0: the, actually, I, it's okay. Today, I woke up and I, I had a low, a drop to a low. I'm like, all right, that makes me feel better. And usually, that's that's like h- how I prep. I don't have the consistent drops. It's usually we'll hold and might go up, then all of a sudden I'll wake up and it'll it'll be be down. So yeah, but this week, like man, training performance has done really well. Mm. And, uh, like I feel good recovery. I think sleeps improved some too. And that's all translating just to better performance. And then I'm just like, well, just need to make sure like you look at the visuals and the scale scale should eventually go down. Yeah. Um, I'm not just going to grow into the show. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Like <laughs> a, a, in, in a way expectations in the timeline. Right. But um, yeah, it's, it's still the, the battle of like, man, it's going to be so close of, of where I end up kind of falling, but no, it's, it's moving this week and actually uh, a really good stride for this leg of prep. I'm like sitting right around, I'm 16 weeks out tomorrow. So
1: there's, there's one aspect of this prep I want to pull out. Cause I think it leads into our conversation one thing I noticed with you is this year seems to be the best off-season you've had leading into a contest prep, in
0: my opinion. I think since
1: 2019, probably. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, honestly, that was my my last solid off-season was 2018 to 19. Yeah, and I feel and, like... And since then, I haven't really had... I haven't had one, or I had one, and it just wasn't that productive, which is disheartening to hear, but it is what <laughs> <Right>. it is.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause you spent 18 months prepping your life away. Um, and
0: it was like, it was to, to be fair, it was like the COVID off season. So, um, that is what it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I'm noticing is your rate of loss seems a little bit more consistent this time around and your visuals are changing a little bit more consistently kind of throughout that forefront. And a lot of that comes to how well I feel like that all season phase is gone because when you start to get into the conversation of setting timelines for prep and keeping someone from being fat on stage, and a lot of that comes with how well those phases leading into it are mapped out and executed. And I feel like this is the first year you've been in the opportunity where you really just kind of let everything go up how how you wanted, right? I feel like this is the first year you kind of fully let the governor off since 2019 and it's really cool to see because I think visually the change from how you look at this weight this year versus last year and the rate at which you're moving along at this far out is way better and is going to lead to you getting to that last phase where it's like the tinkering peaking part being so much more dialed even more so than, you know, the years where you were, the year you spent prepping for a year and a half straight. And I think it'll happen on the first go because like, you know, that that year that year and a half you spent prepping was because that first prep didn't go so great, right? And yeah. I think it's going to be really cool to see how well you dial this in close to the cap because of how productive that all season phase was. I think it's going to be your best yet. But I think a lot of that comes with how well you sequence that into that contest prep and really pulling food up, training performance skyrocketed. I feel like it was the best your execution's ever been. And then you also kind of didn't let yourself get too far out of that like 24 week out mark and man it's just really kind of strung into a really productive first portion of your prep.
0: Yeah everything has aligned and it just goes to show like you keep learning so much along the process like even in the last four years like how much I've learned and be able to implement it successfully and there's just stuff that's unknown like you just don't have it pieced together quite fully, um, mm. but having like having the full reins now for um, a prep to off season to prep—that's actually the first time I've been, been strung it together on my own, self-coaching wise. And th- I think that's why it has been the result that I've seen. Mm. Uh, but yeah, your your prep really begins when your last prep ends. Really, I mean, it, you set up the post show into a productive off season. And then where you see a lot of it fall short, I don't want us to get into just off season, um, but you see a lot of people that body fat just accumulates too quick. And then you get to a spot where to keep driving up performance and body weight, you're just getting like a greater partition towards fat and health is less ideal. Cardio stops dropping off. You start getting less productive. And then eventually people are just eating close to maintenance the rest of the time because they have gotten too fat or they're doing cheat meals every week because it's off season. And then every day of the week they're eating like at a deficit or maintenance, which is just a suboptimal approach. And so then you're so fat, you're like, Oh my gosh, please coach. I need to prep. I'm way too fat. And it takes forever to get the ball moving because you're in such a less ideal position with, not having cardio in place. So you don't have those adaptations yet. You also for, for enhanced bodybuilder, there is a degree of like insulin resistance present that you're trying to, um, improve in that front end. And and that is kind of sluggish to get the ball rolling as well. Right. And I think that's where we set up here is like, this is the, the pre-prep phase that a lot of people don't consider. Right.
1: Yeah. 100%. And I think that with how we go about it now and using that pre-prep phase to one, get habits in line so that like we've got the daily schedule in play. I know you've switched to a block schedule on your calendar, which is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it's like cardiovascular activity, all the habits that, you know, should be in place in the off season. But for some, they kind of start to let slip. It's, it's really productive in getting that ball rolling and the fat loss moving because in my opinion, we call it the pre-prep phase, But that prep, like we said, starts before the prep and that pre-prep phase is really where you can start to see that average rate of loss come to light once that prep begins, because we should be mapping that out on that timeline of like how long we think it is going to take to get that person to contest shape. And I think a lot of people miss that aspect of it within that pre-prep phase because they're not planning the pre-prep phase to get them to that point where that prep can run smoothly.
0: And this goes back to like, why are you so fat on stage? Here's here's the number one reason that I would, I would lay out is that the timeline's just not correct. You miscalculated how many weeks it's going to take to get body fat off. Uh, that could be, for one, lost weeks from exactly what we're talking about, from just having to get up those weeks, make up weeks in the front end because things aren't working well. It could be lost weeks because of other factors. Um, also, it could just be in overestimation of muscle and an underestimation of body fat that we see. Huh. And that's where you, it's, it comes down to math really. So if you have someone in the off season, you have a stop point for body fat and what's, it's there. And usually we're saying, Hey, this, depending on the season might be 24. Maybe you let someone go up to 28 weeks, but that's going to be like bringing like a mini cut in. But we say we, the stop point is like 24 weeks. And that, that was it for me just to give some context around that that's based on visuals. So if you're like, man, I'm terrible at visuals. I don't know really what I'm looking at. Well, look at your last show. And this is how I will do it too. For clients. Let me see your last stage picks. What was your weight before manipulations? Or that client stage lean? And like, okay, they were, well that gives us a rough idea of where stage weight should be. How long was this off season? And what's a reasonable muscle gain for this client? Like for myself, like I was around 206, 207 on stage. I had about a year and a half of off season. What does that look like for um amount of muscle tissue that could have been added in that time period? And right. and visually that might that might very well be 10 pounds of stage weight. It, it could be. So then you calculate that all in and you can figure out how much body fat needs to come down over the over that time course. Mm. And that gives you an idea math wise. And we talk about probably getting into what what is reasonable rates of, of fat loss but may, maybe so before we do that we do talk about once you do hit that you know off-season phase you're 24 weeks out and body fat and, and and for a guy that that might be in that maybe 15 17 body fat range mm. you got some abs in like you can see some like relative outline for guys you should have lines all the way up the quad and, and most of the time, uh, you're in, you're in that off season phase time to put the brakes on. Like we're, if we go any farther, you're going to be prepping longer than 24 weeks. Now enter the pre-prep phase. And this is what's going to set up a productive contest prep right off the bat. So take it away, Luke. What is what, how do you set up this pre-prep phase? You've got a client, they're masked up peak off season. weight. where do we go from here?
1: So this typically starts with pulling back to baseline compounds because I will have ran a off-season phase that's included escalation of compounds into that. And so from a health perspective and managing that across a contest prep, this is probably the first change that actually happens. My preference here is the first one to two weeks of that pre-prep phase being about getting that schedule together. Because I think that the more that I do this, the more I realize that getting people on board with that schedule is probably one of the most stress mitigating factors that I can use for the entirety of the contest prep. And so that's gonna be making sure that cardiovascular activity is done consistently at the same time throughout the week during that schedule that they're gonna be using for contest prep. So, just to give an example, I have a couple of people who prep on like rotary time schedules. So they work night shifts at a vet or whatever that may be. And so it's not always fast to cardio, but they're learning to break up that cardiovascular activity out across the week, according to how that schedule fluctuates throughout the week. And so what I'll use for those clients, a lot of times is total minutes per week and they split it up according to how they're able to get it in throughout the week and they, they get everything done. So they're learning that dynamic scheduling during a time period where If they make a mistake, it's okay because we're not trying to run this perfect rate of loss, right? The second part of this for me is I prefer to pull food back just a smidge. Um, We don't have compounds in at its peak amount. I'll typically leave food where it's at for the first week to two of the pre-prep phase, and then I'll dial it back just because we're kind of like phasing those compounds out. And then I'll dial back food first. Now, the only time I will take cardiovascular activity progressions is if they weren't doing cardiovascular activity in the off-season, as in I know adherence wasn't there. Because what that tells me is that food is probably closer to maintenance or a deficit with the activity in. So I'll actually leave food alone and pull the activity and see what happens from there. Preference is food first, but the reality of it is is that some people – you get to peak off season and the cardio goes out the window. So there is some variability right within the clients, but that is everything that I think the pre-prep phase consists of. You will see some loss across this, this pre-prep phase. It's normal. So don't have this expectation of maintaining your peak weight from off season, but it's not going to be like pushing fat loss. Like you are once you start the contest prep.
0: It, it also gives you a better gauge too of assessing where that person to go stage weight wise, because when you're on peak mass and, you know, PDs are elevated, there is a degree of like water and Mm. glycogen fluff. That's present where you're like, man, you got to be like probably overestimate five pounds of stage weight, maybe five pounds of body fat too, just because of water. Some of that could drop off depending on what, what was being done there. And then you might get a more accurate picture of how much someone truly needs to come down and then, then also even within the uh, the, the health realm, too. Um, pulling lab work at peak mass to say what needs to be addressed now. Uh-huh. And a lot of that will determine how long the phase will be, right? So, because ideally you want to go into a prep with peak health or health back to baseline, whatever that, that looks like, um, within reason, right? I mean, if, if you're like, this is your career. Like there might be things that we accept risk wise, but, but relatively we want someone in a a good health, health, a good health spot to be able to go into the prep from there. Yeah. Um, I, I typically will do the same and it also with food, like coming down, I have some people that are really adaptive. So like you drop food and like nothing happens, um, I have other people, you drop food and they like, we'll drop five pounds in a week. Uh, so it, it also gets you like finger on the switch to click on prep. Right. It, yep. uh, it, you know, cause initially like you have those people that are on super high food and you pull it and then nothing happens. You're like, Oh man, there goes a week of prep when if we're like across this time assessing that moving food, moving food to where we do start to see body weight move, like, all right, this is really a true maintenance. And also counted for some of those adaptations that happened across prep where people are adapting to eating more food. Then once week one of prep starts, it's so much easier to, to move the needle with body fat loss, right?
1: Yep, 100%. Um, on that health phase, that pre prep or that pre prep phase that you're taking those health metrics into consideration. Are you typically using like six to 10 weeks for most people within that, that phase? Is that kind of the duration you're using for
0: that? That that would, that would probably encompass it. Like that generally will, will take care of most things. And, and for some people, like I said, it can be shorter, but also we're not ending like a 24, 30 week mass phase with the blinders on. So pulling labs every 10 to 12 weeks anyway, So right before that phase was about to end, the off-season phase, 12 weeks ago, we also had labs to get a pretty good good gauge to see where health is trending. For a lot of guys, it's like, oh yeah, I'm still, still everything looks great. So we can track like in our acute variables, like blood pressure and blood glucose and look at other more subjective markers like skin and digestion. Mm -hmm. And those things might still be moving along really, really well to where we're, we're not just where did that come from? How did our car break down? And like, oh yeah, we never like changed the oil. Uh it uh it it will it'll be a little bit easier than like some other approaches that are just real uh naive to what's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um I think that kind of starts to bring us to the phases of prep and like what is a normal rate of loss, right?
0: Yes, agreed. And you can look at some of the, you know, I like looking at research with naturals because it removes the drug variable. So you don't have it skewing what could be really occurring with, you know, some individuals, yeah, the body weight doesn't change much and they just get leaner or you're using compounds that could drive a faster rate of fat loss and easily maintain tissue. So I think that's when it's helpful to look at data from natural bodybuilders and. What, what you see is a good rate and what maintains tissue and performance. And just to summarize that, if you look across like a lot of these this data, about a 1% rate of loss on the front end of a prep for a natural does a really good job at maintaining lean body mass. In some of the studies, there's actually like no body, lean body mass loss in females, especially males, it does start to taper off towards the end. But that's when the fat loss rate needs to start tapering down as you just have less fat to lose and you're at a greater um, risk of losing lean tissue. Mm -hmm. There's just more hormonal maladaptations occurring to cause muscle loss, right? So that rate of loss needs to taper down from maybe this 1% down to this half percent, which if you do the math on that, like if you're a 200-pound individual – losing maybe two pounds a week initially, and then, then one pound per week. Now, where this changes is, and how I do it is off the front end, I do go more aggressive. I think we both mm-hmm. do, right, Luke? Yep. And that could be, especially the first week, depending on where the person was at, you might see like a 1.5% rate of loss. And I'm I'm good chasing that for the first like three to four weeks on prep. And then let it, letting it taper into 1%. And that is especially so when they're higher body fat and especially so, uh, when there's PDs on the table. Absolutely. we, We could definitely keep that, that higher rate going for a longer period of time too.
1: Yeah. To conceptually kind of break it down. I, I, I break prep into phases. So three fat loss phases and then the peaking process. And so, The way I kind of look at it is like phase one is the beginning of prep, get ahead of the curve fat loss wise, run that one to one and a half percent on average across that phase. Um, A lot of people kind of fall in that one, two, five, one, three kind of rate because it's really aggressive off the front end. Um, You're you're kind of making those changes to push them along pretty well. That second phase for me is going to be the most productive where we're kind of running that one percent on the nose. This is also where a diet break falls. And I'm building this into the timeline where I know that I can run that 1% rate of loss with a diet break and still get them to where I need them to be around that eight week mark. And the thing is that people don't understand sometimes is the end of that phase two can get pretty tough because you should be planning this to land phase three where it's the slowest rate of loss, it's very minute changes towards the back end because it's the most sensitive for tissue loss, and then the peaking process for me is two to two and a half weeks, depending on the person. So you're not landing the end of fat loss on show day; you're landing the end of fat loss a week to two and a half weeks before. And people people kind of miss that aspect of understanding that these phases, when they string into each other. To do this well, you have to be really aggressive on phase three and phase two in order to land the plane in time to be able to run a proper peak, which is reversing into the show and deloading and being able to really drop fatigue to get them to be responsive.
0: So you, br- you brought up some things there. Um, diet breaks, two weeks ready ahead. Also, things happen. Stuff gets messed up. Yeah. those Those are non-dieting weeks. So... Uh-huh. We have this timeline right that we set up of you need to lose whatever, let's say one percent body weight. And those are weeks that it's non-dieting time. So when you have like someone's like, Oh, I'm doing a twenty four week prep, coach is crazy. It's like, yeah, you might have four or five of those weeks that might actually be dieting truly. So you, you need you need to factor that in and reverse engineer your timeline, which for this two hundred pound male, let's say he has he's at 20, body fat. We know he needs to be stage lean. Let's assume 3%. That's 10% body fat to lose. For this male, this is 20 pounds of body fat, body weight. And I throw on an extra five pounds of just water glycogen fluff that might be there. So 25 pounds. And then you calculate that off. Assume a 1% rate of loss this guy is going to be losing two pounds per week and he has 25 pounds to lose. And again, you need to factor in some fluff weeks in there too. Um, Two weeks ready ahead, potentially maybe some diet breaks days you're doing refeeds. So that might add four weeks on to that prep. So, I mean, 13% body fat, this guy's already like relatively pretty lean, but at least for that guy, that might look like a 16, 17 week prep. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, that's the real rough and my math was definitely not exact there, but it's the real rough way of how you would backtrack that to see how many weeks out. And, and I, I would say like, if you calculate it, if you want to do the, the easy math, like if you took the total pounds that you're at for loss and divided it by like um, 0.75 mm. assuming like a 0.75% rate, that way it accounts for going fast in the beginning slower than the end that would probably be a good estimate. I would calculate it slower on a female, and that's what we run into how often. Like females diet so much slower, like a half percent rate of loss. But set up the diet different. Set them up at the faster rate, but just assume the slower rate. And that way, you shouldn't run out of time. Um, that's uh-huh. the that's the worst case, right? You're ready ahead is not the problem. It's when you're not ready and you got to race to the end. So that's the... The, the, the worst case scenario of having too many weeks on prep is not a worst case at all.
1: Yeah. I think, I think people don't realize that you can play that game of pulling someone up and then pulling them back down. And for me, I actually really like that game because I can really see how full the best visuals look because when we're like kind of playing with it, I'm doing this with Kyle right now. He competes in two days, one day. Um, I got him ready like two and a half weeks ahead. I've just been yanking his weight up and then pulling it back down under the weight cap and just letting him kind of hang out around that weight cap and not really having to push him too hard on this back end. and training's going great. His performance is really high, not even really having to use like um, a whole lot of like oral compound deployment to, to maintain that just because that food is getting bumped up so frequently and it's really put him in a great place. He's very responsive to the changes I make. Where I find when you don't do that, you really can start to chase someone on a peak if, if you're not getting them to that point where they are ready ahead and pulling them up. But I do think it, it would be smart to cover kind of what delos and diet breaks look like because resolving issues on prep as far as like managing fatigue is typically a, a big issue that does come up, keeping people getting all the way there. Um, and how we go about the deloads and diet breaks, because I think there's some, some people who do it too often. And then there's some people who think contest prep is, you know, hundred percent gas to the floor, no pullbacks. We can never pull back on contest prep. You just are always fighting the deficit.
0: So when I, when I set up the plan to the, I think there should be pre-planned recovery strategies in place, then also, Auto-regulated strategies, and so what? For one, you just have to be training within a recovery capacity that um, you, you're you have available to you. So that's not going to look like off-season training volume. It's going to look somewhere between like maintenance and off-season, and so you should be able to be still stringing together and, and progressing and not feeling like you're run down earlier on in prep. I think having rest days is is, is ideal. Some people just try to like do train more in prep. And I think having what I've been doing a lot of people that have one day where just it's completely off from, from prep and necessary. We're not tracking steps. We're not doing direct cardio work and we're not training. It's kind of the idea of the other approach. We talked about it before of just having like a very aggressive nutrition deficit. And then one day of high food. I don't think that's needed on the front end of prep because you already have high food. That's not the issue. So I rather have it built in on the output side, so that's one like pre-planned strategy that's in place, and then having the rest day, then also ha- training within you know a volume that you can recover from. Then the rest time, honestly, I, I auto-regulate it because we're not running an approach that is progressing training volume up across the mesocycle to intentionally run someone into a state of fatigue to require the deload. As prep in itself, all your recovery tools are starting to lower with the same training volume. So if we're we're lowering recovery tools and at the same time increasing volume, it can easily cause an exponential problem with fatigue management. And then you're forcing a deload to occur, which I like to keep the static volume relatively and the deload's going to meet you at some point. And at that point, it doesn't take much to get someone back which usually on the front end of prep, since it's not as fatiguing, that might just be, I, I usually do so, hey, take three rest days in a row, we'll eat at maintenance. That's enough to freshen someone up and keep them moving. Then as we get deeper into prep and fat loss is on track, that might look start extending to where we do like five days. Yep. And I rarely, honestly, have used like a full seven-day deload because I feel like... You haven't probably been watching someone close enough to dig them that far in a hole where you need a full seven days. And it's also with a thought in mind that once we get about two weeks out from the show, the last two weeks are going to be deloading in different aspects and diet breaks in different aspects. But usually, usually the deloads that I'm talking about along the way, usually it's eating at a, at a maintenance calorie level. Uh-huh. There might be some more food increases towards the end. Um, but yeah, I usually find just bringing food closer to a maintenance is more beneficial than these really high refeed days. The only time those do come in place is is when I re, like you start dropping fatigue and and you see someone really start taking off on body weight loss, then they might come in to account for that.
1: Yep, I think that's you, kind of go ahead.
0: Yeah, was, do you do you do anything different?
1: No, not really. I. I really make the argument that if you have to go seven days mid prep, then something happened with the management of that. Like I I'm really big on like trying to get someone in and out of that diet break as fast as possible. Like make sure you get the fatigue drop, but the, the, the static volume should lead them into a place that's responsive to pulling back the stimulus. And that I'll be honest, most of my diet break deloads are three to four days max for contest preps. Um, and that's kind of where I I'll even just have someone eat, most of the time that difference between training and rest day is about the difference between maintenance. If you take out the activity. So I'll just, a lot of times run training day food with the rest days. And that's pretty good adjustment for the maintenance if you're removing the activity metric of the equation. So, um, it kind of gives them a couple days psychologically of the higher food where they're like, ah, this is a break. You know, I'm not really having to get up and do cardio. And a lot of times it's just like within three days, they'll they'll really, really kind of be in a, a really good spot to, to respond again.
0: Within all this, like, it, how do you, is some of this being dictated around like this rate of loss, right, too? Because I, I know people like get behind on prep, the rate slows down. And they're like, man, I, I'm not going to be able to have these days off or eat higher because I need every moment a fat loss present how do you handle situations like that when they come up yeah it's not, it's the, not a clean it's not a clean answer
1: it's not a clean answer <laughs> no it's not because yeah. you could there's some situations where the slowing of the rate of loss requires the deload diet break to get them moving again on the opposite end a lot of times that situation occurs in a contest prep where they were coming in with the expectation of making it to a show that I potentially had advised maybe a bit of a stretch. And when that's the case, it's kind of like the conversation of you signed up for this. I warned you it's time to dig.
0: And that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. It's, it's and that's, that is it. I know you're hesitant like, man, I don't want to say what this really is like, <laughs> but, but th- that's, that's the truth of it, right? Like, there's moments where, like, you know what? There's, it's a risk to like pull back someone, lose those days, and then they won't, are definitely not ready. Uh, or you just like, hey, man, let's just really, really push and get them there. And then you can, you can let off um, and just have to deal with like, hey, you're, you're going to have running a bit more fatigue. And it, it depends, like, what, what's the issue, right? Uh, yeah, to have to, to be ad- addressed it, you know? A lot of times it's deload, sometimes connective tissue related. Like we can work around that. Um, and it also depends like when you're coming up to the deload and fatigue's getting high, sometimes pulling someone back is productive, but it also might not, might not be because I've had guys where they give all the signs of being fatigued and you pull back and then weight just jumps up and you, you do lose time, which meaning like they weren't that fatigued and they weren't that depleted. Their perception of it and what they're reporting was a bit higher on that scale than what was reality. And in turn, it could have been done a a much shorter way. Maybe it's just the one day off and then let's get right back to it and dig hard. Mm. So it, it takes like a, some really good assessment of the client and knowing them and what's getting reported, looking at all those metrics and making the call if it's more productive to pull them back or keep going. Sometimes it's just the the one day test. Can I'll do that a lot, which I'm like, all right, take a day off, and then send me picks the next day, and let's see how it changes, right, um, and see what they report. And then they might be productive, and like, all right, let's keep going, or it might not. But I don't lose like oh, like five days or a week of trying to trying to pull someone back. So it it can get tricky, and you want to gauge like. You know, what's going to be the productive thing to do?
1: Yeah, I, uh, this is actually a coaching issue, I think. This is actually why I ask for previous contest prep pictures a lot of times because I'm actually assessing how far they got. Like, did they actually get to contest shape? And are they going to be able to accurately assess that fatigue dynamic? Previous preps leaves clues. I have a prep and I won't bring it up who it was. Um, where at least one check in a week was coach, I don't think this should be this hard Mm. every week. And it's like, you're watching the data. It's like perfect rate of loss. It's like performance is still moving and you're just kind of like, okay, like you entertain the conversation, but then you're just like, Hey, everything that you're doing tells me that things are moving. And I understand this sucks, but you're just going to have to move on. And if it changes the rate of loss or something within the prep that I think we need to make a change to get you there, then we will. And come to find out down the road that it was life stressors were high enough that it was carrying over into how he felt within the, the gym and a couple other things. And it was actually giving that person a skewed reality of how they actually felt. That being said, this person's change from their last prep to this contest prep has, was massive where they're experiencing something they've never felt before because they've never actually yes. been to this point before. Because like you, you and I have seen this multiple times. People that prep that don't have enough tissue to actually get into full realized contest shape because there's some body parts that don't have enough muscle to show the, the conditioning that they're in. Then they add that tissue... And they're able to get to a body fat composition that's a lot lower than their previous prep because they've taken the time to add 15, 20 pounds of, of stage stage muscle, stage tissue. And that feeling and that expectation of what this contest prep should look like from a visual standpoint drastically changes because the visuals that they were on stage are actually where they're at six or seven weeks out this time. And so that visual change of what they expected last time and how they expect it to feel is way different than this one. And, and I've had so many preps where literally every data point points to them progressing except for their psychological side. That's where managing a psychology as a coach is really important.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I can see that. I've had You have people when you see their picks and you're like, all right, they weren't stage lean. And once you get them to those new levels of leanness, you've never been there before. You don't know how it's going to feel. So the perception is going to be a lot different, and you're right. You have to manage those expectations. I've had other clients too that came from other coaches, and they were in that position where, like, hey, dig, dig, dig. It's all about suffering. Like, it's going to be hard, and they give a feedback that's different. It's like, yeah, this prep is like it's challenging. It's not my hardest prep ever, but so you only know what you know, right? If if that. If that was the norm before of like pure suffering on prep and then you report like, yeah, all on par coach, it might not actually be on par. And I've had that situation where like, Hey, you're, you're smashed. Like this is not normal. So you also have to pull that out from someone as well. Yeah. Then the other client is the one that wants it. Like they want to be a masochist. (laughs) Right. And (laughs) I I have one client friend, and I'll I I'll, I'll tell her like Christina Bittner. I'll call her out because you know I love love working with her because uh, she WPD. And man, if I bump cardio, she's like, "Yeah, let's go!" Like <laughs> it, it was exciting to prep because you don't have someone that's probably like, "Oh man, like John up my cardio again." Like yeah. it was like it was go time. Like that lit her up, but it was also someone that I had to watch because they would take it as far as I would give it to them. Right. Like I'm like three hours a car. You're like, no problem. It's like, so that's the person you need to watch to make sure yeah. you're, you're toggling between managing fatigue and how hard you're allowing them to push themselves. So that's, it's a huge coaching side, right? There's a psychology across athletes and it's when you need to bring, talk to these people and, Uh, sometimes voice notes can be really helpful to like Mm. hear, hear how they're describing it. And then also gauging from their experience level to know if it is time to pull back or time to push to make sure you keep them on track for the timeline.
1: I was going to say, I actually bring this point up because I use the timeline to reassure them of like, Hey, I know this sucks and it's this hard, but look, you're actually X amount of winks out to the point that you're supposed to be ready. You're not X amount of weeks out to the show because like that then changes their dynamic perception of like, oh, this is six weeks out instead of eight weeks out because I want to be too. And then they're like, it kind of clicks, right? It's like, okay, I see why this is this hard this early or on, on the flip side, like, Hey, you're ahead. You don't have to go do 10 minutes of extra cardio to get this in, in, in stage condition already. Right? So it, I really like that timeline because it's a tool that can be used in either direction. To really create buy-in and show the athlete, like, this is where you're at. This is where we have to be. And this is the next steps to get you there because you're X, Y, Z out.
0: Yeah, I think it can uh, definitely, like, keeps them. It it can be tough, too, right, Luke? They have, they might see what the time. I only give so much to certain clients because if they have, like, a stage weight or they get scale-focused, and then that can be a psychological um, stressor of itself. For other people, it, it helps regulate them, and they know kind of where they need to be and if they need to push or pull back. So I think it, you need to adjust it along the way to help those individuals. Uh, but o- overall, like as a, of a self-coaching tool or if you're coaching others, knowing this information can be really helpful. And, you know, we have, we have preps. I know we talked a lot about body fat drop with the enhanced bodybuilder that can get skewed because there's an escalation of PDs across mm-hmm. the front front end of prep that might make it harder sometimes to gauge. So you might not see as much scale weight changes at times. But again, we're not prepping with only the next 16 weeks is going to be your bodybuilding career. It's still going to be the next 10 to 15 years for a lot of people so we're also not running you know that aggressive a pd schemes to where yeah man i'm just gonna add 20 pounds of stage weight into the show like uh that's not how we're prepping people and it doesn't last long guys don't like that with that approach but anyway i uh i think that wraps up the the Mm. topic like it um you know why are you fat on stage it comes down to having the right timeline and mapping this stuff out it's it's math and um Math can get broken down and that way it's not just something up in the clouds. Like, I think I'll prep for 16 weeks. Like, well, why are you going to prep for 16 weeks? <laughs> I don't know. That's just what I did last time. And that sounds pretty good. What's your stage? We're going to be like, I don't know how much body fat do you have? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, when in coaching myself, like I don't like guessing, like I like more objective numbers and figures. So I think this could be helpful for a lot of people, but
1: yeah, I agree. 100 percent
0: anyway appreciate everyone tuning in questions comments leave them down below and we will talk to you next time